0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So we're going to read from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 14 this morning. Now a couple of things that I want to let us know. This is really going to be a two-part conversation. So I'm going to offer one point of view today that I see this text and how it speaks. And then next week, we're going to celebrate the 57th anniversary of God's work through this church and meet for one gathering. How many gatherings? One. At 10 o'clock. What time? Yeah. Outside. We're going to have the canopies and everything. And we want to see everybody. We want to try and get everybody. We have 350 people, give or take, in this congregation in the life of our church. We have 160 families in the life of our church. So if you're with us online this morning and you've just, it's just been a hard time, we, we, sit, we still submit... To the struggles that people have we want to encourage though that if you're just doing online because you know you just wanted to do that instead of just coming out today we're asking come at 10 o'clock next week we're going to gather i'm going to celebrate god's work 57 years and then we're going to have a picnic and john's going to grill food and we're going to play games it's going to be a good time so hope that you'll be there and then that second week that week after that i'll offer the second point of view to this story but this week first point of view this week's going to sound maybe even familiar it'll be a point of view you may have heard before um two weeks from now it may be a point of view that you haven't but i want to offer it from two different points of view because i think the text as a sign of john offers uh definitely many layers so john chapter 5 verse 1 through 14 here's the thing i'm increasingly convinced that this man gets a bad rap with church folks for one his life gets caught up in theological discussions based on what jesus says to him About, like, after his healing, if you look at verse 14. And then for two, he gets brushed off as a bit whiny and complaining. Like, if you read verses 5 through 7. But I have to say, if I'm him, I think I would have been a bit whiny, too. I I have a tendency to be a little whiny. You can ask my wife. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this time, there was a Jewish festival, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, that's where the, gate would come, the sheep would come in, through the gate, in the north city wall, which is so it's in the outskirts, is a pool with the Aramaic name Bethsaida. Some of your um, translations may say Bethesda, but it's Bethsaida or Bethsaida, however, however you read. <clears throat> it had five covered porches and a crowd of people. What kind of crowd of people? A crowd of people who were sick, blind lame, paralyzed. They all sat there. A certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. How many years? Okay, John wants us to know about this man that he's lived with this for 38 years. John doesn't want, he didn't just say, hey, he's been been paralyzed for a while. He wants us to know it's been 38 years of this man's life. Remember, everything John says has purpose. 38 years he's been sick. When Jesus saw him, verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, knowing that he had already been there a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I don't have anyone who can pull me into the water when it's stirred up. When I'm trying to get to it, someone else has gotten in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Immediately the man was well, and he picked up his mat, And walked now that day was the Sabbath what day was it all right that's important verse 10 the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed it's the Sabbath you aren't allowed to carry your mat he answered the man who made me well said to me pick up your mat and walk they inquired Who is this man who said to you, pick it up and walk? The man who had been cured didn't know who it was because Jesus had slipped away from the crowd. All right, so our series is called Headline Living, the Gospel in Context. And what we're doing is we're saying that the way society works is they give us a headline like clickbait. It's a headline that may or may not say what the actual context of the story tells us. We have to read the context of the story. Then we look at the headline and we go, why did they choose that headline, right? So what ends up happening for us is we'll read the headline, we'll make opinions based on the headline, we'll read it, we won't read the content, we won't read the context, we won't sit with the whole story, we'll just read the headline, and then we'll take that headline as truth, even in all of its hyperbole, and all of its exaggeration, and we'll go about our business. And that's dangerous living. That's headline living. The gospel in context is different. So I can almost see the headline for this. Jesus heals whiny, lazy man, and you'll never guess what happens next. There are two points of view. Point of view number one I want to offer now. Here's how the story goes. Jesus bypasses all the centers of Jerusalem, all the centers of power in Jerusalem. Jesus goes right around them, and he goes to the one place where no one has any power. Are y'all with me? And there he is in this hospital-like place around this pool off the beaten path, so to speak, filled with sick people, forgotten people, disposable people, desperate people, all waiting for a miracle, all waiting for hope and wholeness and new life. Now, the Bethesda Spring, this spring here with the five porches, It attracted a crowd of displaced people who knew they had come to the end of their rope and the end of their hope. And Bethesda was this community of hopelessness. You could hear the voices of despair crying out for a last chance, one moment of hope, as the waters would be stirred. You could hear the screaming, the rustling, trying to get to the waters because word on the street was that when the waters of the pool stirred up, it was an angel stirring the waters. And whoever got in first got the healing. Now, I don't want to get caught up in the theological conjecture that's associated with this, whether it was a pool that was attached to a stream that had a mineral stream that created mineral-like qualities in the water that was good for leprosy skin or what have you. I'm not sure. I'm not really all that concerned. The word on the street is that if you get in, you get healed. And people showed up to be healed. And what we know about this pool, what we don't know is how it happened. What we do know is that it existed. Archaeologists found this pool. And in this pool on a wall ascribed is an image of what appears to be an angel. So we know the story and all of its legend is true. This was a place where the voices of despair were heard crying out. And while Jesus walks through the gates, he meets a man who's been sick for 38 years. For 38 years, this man hasn't walked. Scriptures, depending upon your translation, calls him paralyzed. Matter of fact, one of the translations calls him an invalid. Have you ever thought about that word? Invalid? Invalid? The words we use in society without giving concern to what they communicate about other people's worth, Invalid. Invalid. Now, the Greek word that describes this paralytic man literally translates dried up. This brother was dried up. Maybe that's how I just talked about his legs and the atrophy of his legs that do not work. He's dried up. Anyway, at some point in his life, this man living with paralysis for 38 years hears about this sort of fountain of youth. All the sick people go to get healed, and so he goes. Now, I realize that this text doesn't tell us how many times this man has attempted to get into the pool, but I imagine this day wasn't his first. I would think that over the course of 38 years of suffering, which John wants us to know that he suffered for 38 years, that this brother had been there at least a few times before. And time after time, when that water stirs, time after time, when the water stirs, healing in his imagination, healing is within his grasp. That water stirs, healing's within his grasp, but his inability to get to the waters first keeps him from healing. He is incapable, and I bet he felt invalid, along with every other soul with a body that was bruised and broken. This man is reminded every moment that he is incapable of changing his situation day after day after day. But you know what? He kept showing up. He kept showing up. I'd like to think that he just kept showing up. I mean, sure, he whined. And and sure, he didn't answer Jesus when Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He went into a complaint. He didn't say yes, but he said yes before Jesus got there because he kept showing up. Are you with me? He didn't answer Jesus with a yes, but he answered yes when he went about his morning. He answered yes when he stayed at the pool. He kept showing up. And I can't help but wonder, What if that was the day he called it quits? Like, what if he woke up that morning and he said, you know what, I've tried this. i tried this yesterday, there for a week. I've tried this. I've tried this 38 years. We don't know. But he said, what if he said, I tried this and I'm done. Today is the day it's over. I wouldn't blame him. Would you blame him? Day after day, it's not working. What if that was the day he let his inability to change his own situation, get the best of him. And he just decided to quit. What if on that day he allowed his previous experience with all the other selfish people, are y'all with me now, come on, that he allows his previous experience with all the other selfish people make him a cynic and decide that today is the day he's done. What if on that day he decided not to show up and allowed all of the disappointment, the sadness, the failure and the downright tiredness get the best of him? If that was the day he would have decided to quit, he would have missed his miracle. Thirty-eight years. We can't wait 38 minutes. 38 days, 38 weeks, 38 years of waiting and wanting and trying and hoping and failing and being disappointed and reminded of your incapacity and inability and your lack of power to change it, 38 years. But he kept showing up. See, he didn't throw his hands up and say enough is enough. He whined. He complained. He didn't even answer Jesus' question, y'all. But he showed up. He said, Yes. He didn't say yes, but I. He said yes. So the story forces me to remember over and over again that when I grow sick and tired of things, people, situations, or even my own whiny complaints, you know what's true? Jesus doesn't quit on me. See, Jesus didn't quit on him. See, in the Gospels, Jesus is always making a way to places where sick and tired folks show up. Anybody y'all have a, have a mama used to look at you and say, I'm sick and tired? Some of y'all mamas say, I'm sick and tired. Jesus has a way of showing up where the sick and tired folks are. Jesus has a way of entering into the company of the community of hopelessness. He comes to the displaced and disposable over and over again. Jesus' willingness to say yes to the wrong people at the wrong place at the wrong time becomes a miracle. Jesus does this a lot. This is what gets Jesus in trouble. I want you to look at verse 16 and 18 of chapter 5. I want you to see what it says so you can see why this makes Jesus a troublemaker. A lot of people think Jesus got in trouble with the religious and political leaders you know because of god's divine sovereignty or because of you know he was just uh teaching things the thing is is jesus was politically and religiously subversive to the people that were there he kept breaking the law i don't know why why we don't think about that the law of moses if jesus doesn't do what the law of moses says do then jesus is breaking the law of moses in the religious political world of the early people of the jewish people that's breaking the law look at what it says verse 16 as a result, the Jewish leaders were harassing Jesus. Everybody say, harassing Jesus. Why were they harassing Jesus? Because he had done these things, look at the time, on the what? On the Sabbath. They're harassing him because he did it on the Sabbath. If he had done it on a Sunday, been fine. Friday, been fine. Thursday, been fine. Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, fine. Sabbath, not fine. Jesus replied, and this is what I like. Jesus replied, my father's still working. Now I'm working too. For this reason... The Jewish leaders wanted even more. Everybody say even more. Even more to kill him. Notice that they already wanted to kill him. Yeah, we're only in John chapter 5. And they want to kill him? They want even more to kill him. Why? Well, not only because he was doing away with the Sabbath, that's how they interpreted it. Because when you challenge the status quo, people think you're throwing it all out. Come on now, you with me? When you want to tell the truth, people who want to hold on to their version of the truth think you're trolling out their version of the truth, too. That's how it works. That's what the Jewish people were thinking. That's why John wrote it that way, I bet. He was doing away with the Sabbath. Jesus wasn't doing away with the Sabbath. And it says, but also because he called God his own father, thereby making himself equal with God. Look at verse 17 again. This is the part that I like, though. I'd like to talk about how Jesus wrote the law, all those things, because, you know, it sounds cool. And he did. I'm okay with that. But that's not the part that I think is beautiful about the story. The part that's beautiful about the story is that the way the religious people and the political people read their Bibles told them that the Sabbath wasn't a day that you could do God's purposes and experience and live into purposefully with effort and action God's promises they believed in God's promises which is why they believed in Sabbath but what I'm trying to say is that was a day of rest that was a day you weren't even supposed to pick up your mat and walk that wasn't the day that Jesus was supposed to do a miracle y'all remember that right and what's Jesus' answer my father's not taking off on the Sabbath so why am I going to take off see here's what I love about Jesus wants them to know that God doesn't stop working even when we do. God doesn't quit even if we do. And neither does Jesus. Beloved, Jesus won't quit on you because God never quits on you. Receive that. Don't quit on Jesus. Don't quit on Jesus. Even if you can't tell Jesus yes... Because that man didn't tell Jesus yes. Even if you don't know what you want, I'm not sure that man knew exactly what he wanted. Keep showing up. Because the day you decide not to may be the day you miss your miracle. See, I remember what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20 to 21. All of God's promises have their yes in him That is why we say amen through him to the glory of God. God is the one who establishes us with you in Christ and who anointed us. Beloved, what Paul's saying is all of God's promises and all of God's purposes have their yes in Jesus. And guess what, beloved? You are in Jesus. So you know what that means about God's promises and purposes in your life? It's a, say it with me, yes. It may take 38 years, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. If we don't show up, or if we quit, we may miss our miracle. So why do we quit then? Why is it sometimes we give up? I like to imagine the heart as like this closet where all of the memories and experiences of our lives are stored, even the trauma ones, And things happen to us. And so we put it in our heart and we tuck it away because we got to move on, right? We look for resilience. We got to keep the grind moving. And then something else happens to us. And so we tuck it away and we put it in our heart. And then another thing happens. Or maybe then we do some things and then consequences happen. And so we tuck that into our heart. And all these things happen in our lives. Abuse happens. Betrayal happens. And trauma, all these other trauma things happen. These bad things happen. And so we, we throw them into the closet of our heart and we shut the door as quickly as we can so we can just move on with life. See, what eventually happens is something will happen and we'll have to open that door again. And we'll try to throw it inside our heart. But guess what will happen with all the stuff that's been just kind of forced and piled up? It'll spill out. It'll be all over the ground. And there it is, right before us. One more time, the trauma's right there again. I thought I dealt with that. <clears throat> I, thought I, I thought I worked through that. I, I, thought I, I thought I put that away. I thought I, quote, moved on. But There it is. And so now we're stuck and we, we're here. We look at all of the mess of our lives that is just spilled out of our hearts. And so what do you do when a room is so messy that you don't know where to start? You just, you don't. You just don't. And maybe you do tomorrow, but guess what you don't do? You don't do it, what? Today. And what if that was the day? What if that was the day that Jesus said to you, sit down, child. Sit down with me, child. We're going to sort through, we're going to sort through the stuff that fell out your heart. See this abuse Sorry, child. Here. Put it on the top shelf of the heart right there. It goes on that shelf. We begin to unwind the trauma. We begin to process through the tragedy. One moment at a time with Jesus. And he shows us where it belongs. Because it happened to us. The scar is there see there becomes a difference it no longer owns us shoved in the closet of our hearts ready to bust out at any moment no no it no longer owns us we own it and Jesus shows us where the loss belongs on the shelf of our heart we don't have to hide it anymore we don't have to act like we're okay when we aren't okay we just keep showing up moment moment day by day and we meet the miracle that Jesus has in store for us but if we don't see if we don't show up if we just quit then we're liable to say yes to the wrong thing And when we say yes to the wrong things, we have nothing left to say yes to the right things. So we start saying yes to our employer too much. We start saying yes to our fears. We start saying yes to our party politics. We start saying yes to our ideologies. We start saying yes to our preferences. And we can't say yes to the things that could make us grow, the things that could make us transform the things that have the potential to change us from the inside out we say yes to our dreams because everything aligns lines up and it seems right and then we can't say yes to the dreams of god because we've lost his dream for our own that's what happens not only in a culture of distraction but in a moment where we just want to hide the things that hurt and harm, we just get too tired and we just don't show up. See, what I love about this story is that even though he didn't tell Jesus yes, Jesus said yes to him. And even though he didn't tell Jesus yes, he said yes earlier that day when he decided to try one more time. But he had to say it somewhere along the lines of 38 years to meet the miracle. Beloved, sometimes the only yes we can give God because we can't pray, because we just can't pray, I just can't bring myself to pray, the only yes we have to give God is just, God, I'm here. You with me? God, I don't know what to say. I don't even want to say anything, but here I am. That's a yes. When we, can't, when we can't even understand where to begin in Bible, where we can't even begin to understand where we begin in Scripture, where we don't even know what to do with Scripture, and we don't even know where to start, sometimes the only yes we have to give is, I'm going to hold my Bible. Sometimes when we want to stay home and isolate ourselves from others because things are hard, and we get that text message from a Christian brother or sister that asks how we're doing, And we'd just rather say fine so we can get on about our days. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes saying yes is saying, no, I'm not fine, I need help. You with me? I got to tell y'all, this thing about church, it's never about coming to church for like attendance sake. I mean, look around, you think? You know what it's about? It's about not saying no to gathering with God's people. Because the day you say no to gathering to God's people because you got to work, because you got something else to do, or you got something better to do, could be the day that God wanted to give you a yes. Here's what I'm saying. Hear me out now. Hear me out. Please hear me out for a minute. I know people's stories in this church. The staff, we know people's stories in this church. We know stories, not all of them, but we know some stories. And so then sometimes we'll do a song, and a song would just speak, or a prayer will be prayed, and, and, and a word will be even, sometimes a word will be given. Sometimes I'm even surprised. And sometimes something connects. And then we come to the Eucharist. we come to the table of the Lord. And we remember God's yes. We remember God's yes at the table of the Lord. And then we'll be in staff meeting come Monday. And we'll talk about it. We'll pray about a story. Or I'll even think about the story. And then I will look around. I'll be like, you know what? They didn't show up yesterday. They weren't there. They missed their yes. Because that song could have spoken to them. That word, that story could have spoken to them. That moment at the table could have spoken to them. They could have been asked by Kathy. Kathy, one of the sweetest people on planet Earth. There's like Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit. And then like there's Kathy. Y'all know, come on now, y'all know. I mean, I ain't never, I've seen Kathy mad one time in 11 years. Like I've tried to make her mad and I can't make her mad. She's like, Fred, I'm going to pray for you. Kathy's the kind of person that you can have a problem. You could be feeling a kind of way about you. And Kathy, if Kathy comes to you and says, how are you doing? And you say, I'm not doing well. You know what Kathy's going to do? She's going to listen to you. She's going to pray for you. That's your yes. But if you don't show up because you just want to take a home day. You don't show up because you just want to work. You don't show up because you got other things to do because it's nice outside and the beach is looking really good. What if that's the day you could miss a yes? That's my question. So this isn't about just coming to church. This is about the presence of God among the presence of God's people where yeses are often heard. That's all. And even if the sermon, and we notice it happens, like flops, And the music would have been better for us just to turn on K-Love. We know that no matter what happened that day, this is God's most profound, prolific yes. Like no matter where you've been all week long, this is the yes. No matter how unworthy you feel when you see the bread and the body of Christ, this is God's yes to you. Can I be forgiven, God? Yes. Can I be healed, God? Yes. It may take 30 years. I don't know. Do you love me, God? Yes. Do you know me, God? Yes. Do I have people in my life, God? Yes. This is God's yes. Does, is there life after death, God? Yes. Is there more to this life than what I see, God? Yes. <laughs>